From books for babies on Bespin to toys for teens on Takadana, this is the Mom Mothma Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Mom Mothma podcast. I'm your host, Laura, but you can call me Mom. So I was looking and realized it's been August since I talked to you guys. I'm so sorry. I got caught up with the beginning of school with my kids. So yeah. Anyways, welcome uh, back. It has been a huge month for Star Wars and there's all kinds of things to talk about today. But I wanted to start out with my rollout roundup. Back in August when I was first uh, starting this up, I was so excited about the Star Wars rollout on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel. And they have not disappointed at all. There have been so many cute little uh, groupings of episodes. I really liked the one with Chewie and the Porgs on Octo. Um, That one is a must-see. Go back and look at them. Uh, for some really great Chewbacca and classic Star Wars creatures with tentacles. Um, But I think the best is the most recent series. It was a three-parter with Rey on Jakku, and it showed so many things about her character that we already know, but loved just reinforced that she's got a love of beauty, particularly of growing things. And it's got a nice little bit where... She wins in the end because she takes care of what matters most, which is life. So those are definitely worth the going back and watching. Triple Force Friday happened earlier this month, and lots and lots of toys came out. But I think the interesting thing that I noticed about Triple Force Friday is just how many of the toys really aren't aimed at kids. Um, And... I want to go into that in just a moment. I did notice some stuff that really were cool. Um, The Galaxy of Adventures uh, action figures are the ones that are the easier ones to find. And honestly, I think they're better action figures that children will actually play with. They're kind of cartoonish in their design uh, rather than trying to be realistic representations of the characters. Um, And for the scale and um, price point of those action figures, that makes sense. Um, I, I like them a lot for that. And there's a set with Dio and uh, BB-8 and R2-D2 of the droids that I'm actually thinking of getting because I collect BB-8 things. Um, but as far as things my children would be interested in, the Lego sets were the real winners of Triple Force Friday. Those are the ones that are on the Christmas wish list this year. And there are several. Of course, the most obvious one is the gigantic Millennium Falcon set. That one comes with a Lando Calrissian figure, a Chewie, an R2-D2, a Dio, a C-3PO, a Finn, and a mysterious horned alien named Bulio, who we know nothing about yet. Um, other ones, there's a Resistance A-Wing Starfighter. I'm so excited to see A-Wings back. I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to with this new movie is we're going to be seeing so many of those classic um, vehicles, the, the A-Wings and the Y-Wings. 
This one comes with Snack Wexley and Lieutenant Connix. Uh, there's the Resistance Y-Wing Starfighter, and that has got the cutest droid. I mean, it's got it's got a Poe and Zori and what looks like a First Order Stormtrooper of some kind, but it's got a teal astromech. So that one is... I've got this funny feeling my daughter's going to want that one just for the teal astromech, so maybe I should not let my kids know about these. Um, there is a speeder chase set with Ray and BB-8, a Kylo Ren shuttle, and I collect Kylo Ren things too, so maybe, oh no, here I am talking about toys, theoretically for children, and I keep going back to the ones that I want. Um, but that actually does bring me into the topic I wanted to talk about with regard to Triple Force Friday, which is that I hear things frequently people talk about how they're not sure about how the new uh, sequel trilogy is hitting with children because of toy sales and how you could track how popular the original trilogy was uh, because of the action figure sales. And I noticed something. The action figures seem to be bought not by children in my in my children's age who are, you know, in their you know, from about five years old into their mid-teens, um, all of my kids went Legos. They love Star Wars. They play Star Wars video games, both classic ones like X-Wing uh, and TIE Fighter, as well as all of the Lego um, Star Wars games. Um, and they love Lego Star Wars, but they are not action figures. The closest they get to action figures is there's a couple of the very sort of micro, micro uh, characters that are about like half an inch tall. Um, I need to look up the name of those. But they aren't action figure um, collectors for the most part. And that goes not just for Star Wars, but for any of the franchises that they think are cool. They're just not into action figures. And I actually went looking... And I thought, you know, when someone says, oh, the new Star Wars just isn't hitting with people because, I mean, look at the toy sales are down. I go back and I look and I say, but are they talking about the kind of toys that children are buying in general? And I found an article in The Guardian um, looking at how movie action figures are appear to be sales appear to be down some of it is that there's just so many there are so many different franchises that have toy sales toys connected to them so that you know yeah your kids might be into star wars but if they're into marvel as well and a whole bunch of other characters then they might get one or two from each of the things they're into because most of us can't afford to get their children several hundred dollars worth of action figures and if you look at the price of the average Black Series action figure, that is not the sort of thing that you are going to want to buy a heck of a lot of to get, you know, useful amounts of play for your kids. Um, and if you look and say, well, who is buying these? They're really not suitable for play anyway. Um, they're for the collector's market. So... I had a thought that maybe when we go and talk about, you know, what are kids into, maybe the question could be, how are, what are the Star Wars toys that are selling well with children? Um, and that might be a better starting point than just looking at the action figures, especially since I was listening to a uh, 
podcast a couple months back that was uh, from uh, one of the Dragon Con panels, and it was an interview with several children. And what was fascinating was listening to, you know, how did they play Star Wars? And almost all of them, it was like my kids, video games and Legos. So Triple Force Friday, lots of awesome collectibles. And I emphasize collectibles since it seems that that's what most of what most of the sales tend to go to. But there are some great toys that are actually playable for kids. Um, next up, the Rise of Skywalker, Journey to the Rise of Skywalker flood of materials has started to come out. Uh, some of them are aimed at older readers, uh, but I got one of the uh, books released for middle grade readers ages about 8 to 12 spark of the resistance by justina ireland and got a chance to read that and i cannot recommend it enough it is such a fun book first off porgs the porgs make an appearance and i am so happy that they have not disappeared off the radar um if there is anything I mean, I love The Last Jedi, but if there's anything that we can say about its impact on the series beyond the trilogy, it's the introduction of Porgs to the Star Wars universe. They are the most invasive species ever created, and they're everywhere. There's some other neat things about this story. The basic outline is that Ray, Poe, and Rose, on the return uh, from a supply run mission for the Resistance, have received a distress signal and they make their way to a planet that is currently having interference with the first order there's a race to find a weapon from the imperial era and along the way all sorts of things are uh, happen new friends are made and i think there's a couple of really neat little details it's not a must read but it's a fun story there's some great character development, and if you're helping uh, to uh, wanting to give kids materials as the new movies are coming out to help them sort of get a sense of what's the state of the resistance and what are the characters' um, relationships like, this is a great one. There's a couple of things in terms of character relationships I liked. One, Ray and Rose friendship. I think that this is a wonderful thing, and I'm sure that there's not going to be much time to show it on screen. So I like that it's being developed off screen, that they're building a friendship, that they have a lot in common and like each other, and they make good friends. And I think that for any of us who have daughters, that positive um, portrayal of girls not seeing each other as competitors, but just working together and admiring each other's strengths and supporting each other is a nice little aspect um, however, they are not without conflict. Uh, Poe Dameron, I think, is pretty well drawn, and there's a little bit of um, some interesting elements of his character. At one point, he's recognized because of his hair and is halfway you know, upset as, you know, this has exposed the resistance, but hey, he's famous. And oddly enough, that actually does sound kind of like Poe Dameron. Uh, and he and Ray have a little bit of um, some disagreements. And I think that the character tension between those two is going to be an element of how uh, they're all friends, but that being friends doesn't necessarily mean that you always get along perfectly with everyone. There's some unexpected friends that they make along the way. And I think that's a theme that's going to be keep on showing up 
uh, in the Star Wars um, stories. Um, but particularly, it's one of those senses that along the way you discover people who you didn't realize would be friends, but who are. And there's one in this book that I like for that. It's a nice plot twist that will be appreciated. Um, but I think the most important element of what's showing up in this story uh, is that Ray is having trouble with the Force. Um, this is not the only place where this is showing up in materials that are being written. In the new Star Wars Allegiance comic, one of the elements is that Ray is having difficulty being able to use the Force. And I think that this is an interesting uh, element to bring in that it seemed in the first two movies that she used the Force with ease, but maybe what we're now discovering is that while Ray was e easily able to use the Force in situations where there was a great deal of stress and need, she is not as easily able to access it now that the urgency is gone and the lack of training is beginning to show for her. And I think that in terms of character development and her needing to work for that development and mastery, it will be there and I'm excited to see it. But I think for those who are um, wanting to have some material just to prepare them to go on for your 8 to 12 year old readers, this is a nice little uh, book to fill in some background material and let them know where are these characters at? What's been happening since um, the... Uh, end of The Last Jedi and how is the Resistance beginning to build up strength again so that they can fight the First Order. Finally, Star Wars Resistance is back and I could not be more excited. But first, it was kind of hard for me to get to see Star Wars Resistance. Um, we don't have cable and this is actually a problem because um, the easiest way to watch Star Wars Resistance is either to watch it on your television through your cable provider, or if you want to watch it streaming online, you can watch it through any number of apps, which if you just put in your cable provider, it will let you. And I didn't. So I had to go to the, I don't mind paying to see Star Wars Resistance, just tell me where to stream it. Well, Star Wars was kind enough to put episode one up on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, which is how I saw episode one. And then I thought, well, last year I was watching it with a season pass on Amazon. I wonder if it'll be up on Amazon. And I checked all last week and nope, wasn't on Amazon. And all weekend I checked and nope, still not yet up on Amazon. And Sunday, I thought, surely now that episode two has aired, if they're going to put it on Amazon, it would be up. And it wasn't. Monday morning, I woke up and started to see all of the articles of people talking about what was happening in episode two. And I went and looked at Amazon one more time. And yes, you can purchase it episode by episode. So for those who are in my situation, not able to watch it easily without cable, um, I encourage you to go look on Amazon. It is going to be on the Disney Plus um, app. So once Disney Plus launches next month, uh, it will be up there. I don't know if subsequent episodes are going to be available from other services like Amazon once that goes up. Um, I'm going to just have to wait and see. But it will be available um, on Disney Plus come November. In the meantime, episode one and episode two, I have been able to watch, and they were both great episodes. Um, 
if you have not watched one, there are going to be spoilers here because the setup for this season um, involves some major spoilers from the uh, tail end of last season. I highly recommend going back and watching some of the episode reviews on uh, Star Wars Explained. And also there are thoroughly in detailed episode reviews on uh, the Sky Talkers podcast. I listen to both of those and love them. And they have done some of the best work in doing summarizations of those episodes. But episode one takes off where we were left last season with the Colossus uh, having uh, left Castellon and it's now in hyperspace and heading towards uh, the Resistance base on Dakar. So we find ourselves somewhere after the end of The Force Awakens and not really sure where we are in the timeline. And episode one doesn't quite tell us yet exactly where we are. But episode one does find us with a lot of the problems because the Colossus has not been in space for a very long time and there's all kinds of issues. Um, in this episode, the major problem is some repairs need, being need to be done to the uh, gravity systems on the ship. And... Kaz and Niku have to deal with a first-order droid that had been left there trying to send signals to help uh, them. But the more important part of this episode is the fact that Tam, having joined the First Order, uh, is dealing with uh, the, the effects of having left her friends and the feelings of betrayal that came with uh, from them, from Kaz hiding that he was a Resistance spy, but now clearly not entirely sure that she's committed to her life in the First Order, but feeling like having made her decision, she needs to stick with it. Um, in Episode 2, that continues a great deal, because when the, uh, when the Colossus arrives at Dakar in Episode 2, uh, we finally get our where are we in the timeline, and the answer is we're somewhere during the period of The Last Jedi, after the battle over the evacuation of the Resistance base, because Kaz and the pirates have to go do a salvage run to what was probably uh, the dreadnought that was destroyed by Poe Dameron, so that they can get some hyperfuel. While we have some work with... Uh, a great deal of really good dramatic tension trying to get the hyperfuel back before the First Order uh, can get them and they can then continue to jump and find some place where they are safe from the First Order. Uh, we have Tam having to watch from the First Order ship as they attempt, as the First Order attempts to destroy the Colossus. And that is where I'm really loving where the series is going because with Tam, you are getting this great, great exploration of something called the sunk cost fallacy. You have a character who is understandably hurt by the way her friends have treated her. And because of that hurt has made what all of us here on the outside recognize is a bad decision. In deciding to join the First Order, she has not made the best choice, but it's an understandable choice. But now that she's in, she feels she's stuck there, and each action she makes makes her further stuck. And this is the sunk cost fallacy, where having made some decision, you feel like you're stuck with the decision and continue to make decisions that compound it. 
And I think one of the things that's very interesting about Tam's situation is, one, I think it's an echo of Kylo Ren's, as I suspect the rise of Skywalker will play out, that you have someone who makes a bad decision, but now that they've done it, they feel like they're stuck and they can't get out and they can't go back, that they're in too deep. And I think Tam's situation is very similar. I'm interested to see how far the series is going to take in having her commit to the role as a First Order pilot and how acting on behalf of the First Order may make her feel trapped or whether it will drive her to seek to reunite with her friends. And that's where I'm interested to see. But I think this has got the opportunity for parents who are watching this with their kids to have some great conversations about you know, what happens when you find that you've made a bad decision? What do you do when you feel like you're trapped? And are you actually trapped? And help to see that even when it seems like you're stuck somewhere, there's always a way back. But in the meantime, I also think that there's some really good conversations to be had about the ways that the First Order is making Tam feel trapped. The kind of pressure that she's uh, getting uh, from her fellow pilot, Rucklin. Uh, the psychological manipulation that's being made by Agent Tyranny. These are great examples of, you know, how are the ways people can make you feel trapped in a bad situation and can you recognize them? Other things that I am excited about, though, that I think uh, bode well for the continuation of this season, um, Kaz's dad shows up and... On the one hand, I'm really happy for Kaz. I'm so glad that his parents didn't get hurt, killed during the Hosnian Cataclysm. On the other, why was Kaz's parents conveniently off-world during the Hosnian Cataclysm? And how does he know that there might be bounty hunters after Kaz? And why is he concerned that now there's a target on his back because of Kaz's actions? I'm worried that Kaz's dad might have First Order connections. Will this play out? I have no idea. But I am excited about this season and can't wait to talk more about it with y'all. And I also can't wait to find out when they actually meet with the Resistance because I don't know where the Colossus is jumping next now that they've managed to get some hyperfuel. But I can tell you what, it is going to be a great season. I'm sad that there's only going to be two, but it's clearly been meant to be uh, a very tightly written series. Even things from last season that felt initially kind of set up y are now paying off well. And the one thing I noticed in particular with the episode two was that the whole subplot with Sonara, the pirate, and her experience is now being helped to draw a foil to Tam's situation. And that I think Sonara is reading Tam better and always has read Tam better than Kaz can. And you know, lots of little things like that from the previous season are now starting to pay off and not just be a one-off setup, but really integrating thematically with what's happening now in the series. Everything is very tightly written, and I can live with two seasons if every moment counts. So, like I said, lots happening right now in Star Wars. The trailer, I am hoping, will be up next week, so I expect I will next be recording for y'all once that's up, and I plan to talk about it. But until then, you can write to me at mommothmapod at gmail.com. 
I am on Twitter and Instagram at MonMothmaPod. Please, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to DM me. And until next time, may the Force be with you. Thank you.